Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. We are ready to study the book of Deuteronomy, continuing tonight. So what we'll do is take just a few seconds for spiritual preparation, confession of sins, and focusing ourselves on the Word of God. So let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are certainly thankful that we have this book, the Word of God, that it has the mind of Christ, that it speaks to us about your character and what you have done. And Father, we understand that it is uh, the history of your character and what you've done for mankind that we continue to, to read, to learn, to understand, and that it, it truly does edify us. We pray, Father, that as we study tonight the book of Deuteronomy, the last part of chapter 2, that we will continue to marvel at your provision for uh, the Israelites as they were traveling from the wilderness, Kadesh Barnea, up towards the promised land. And, Father, as they did this, we see that you provided for them. We often read that you will fight for them, or you fought for them. And we're thankful, Father, that not only are you caring and defending and providing for Israel, but you do the same for us because we understand that Israel is an example for the church age believer. So this, this evening as we continue our study in Deuteronomy 2, we ask for your blessing upon us. Help us to be enthusiastic, but also help us to be thoughtful and be able to apply what we're seeing, your provision for Israel, and how that applies to us as well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. In the book of Deuteronomy, we started out with this outline. The first part was the prologue, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And then secondly, a review of Israel's history, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1 and proceeding to chapter 4, verse 43, which brings us to the end of that chapter. Tonight, we will be in Deuteronomy 2, 26-37, the defeat of King Sion. He was the king of what was known as Heshbon. It was the kingdom of Heshbon, although Heshbon was also a the name for the kingdom. So we're in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 2. Last week, we moved rather rapidly through the first part 
of Deuteronomy 2. And what I'd like to do as we begin in verse 26 is to return to a couple of our, our verses here in um, chapter 2. Uh, as we look at the conquest of Transgordon, uh, Transjordan and the defeat of Sion, the king of Heshbon. Uh, let's begin our reading. Uh, let's return or back up to verse 16. Verse 16, and we'll read from 16 to 19, and then down to 24 and 25. So Deuteronomy 2, Deuteronomy 2, so it was then, so it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me saying, this day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and it doesn't say this, but Moab and the country of the Amorites. This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now, let me take us to one of our maps. This is our map. This is the river Arnon, and it separates Moab and the kingdom of Hezbon, uh, Heshbon. And you'll notice if you can, if it's large enough, this is Heshbon. Sion will come south and there'll be a battle at Jahaz right here. So you'll see that Edom is all the way at the bottom here. Edom and then here we see the Zered. So that's the division between Edom and Moab. And then the division between Moab and the Amorite kingdom is the Arnon. And Aurora is just on the other side. And we'll see that as we proceed. The kingdom of, of Gilead at this time, is extends up to the Jabbok River, which is right here. And those rivers are important simply to keep us org- organized uh, or oriented, I guess you could say. And Ammon is, was, uh, owned this land. It was part of their possessions But the uh, Amorites took the land from them and pushed them back. And so Ammon is back here. And as we proceed tonight, we'll see that we have Edom, Moab, and Ammon, who are descendants of, of Abraham. 
and his his family. What we have here in Deuteronomy 2, verse 16, you'll notice, I think this is a significant point, and I'm not sure I emphasized this last week, but in verse 16 it says, so, so it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people. This is the first generation, the warriors of the first generation. And so as they have passed from Kadesh Barnea, wandered is the phrase that we often use, for Israel in the wilderness for another 38 years, and then they skirt, I'm going to use the word skirt, they skirt Edom and also Moab, it's as they're crossing from Moab into the country, which is the region is known as Gilead, but it's also the kingdom of Heshbon. Uh, it's at that point we're told that all of that first generation has died. They're gone. And it's on the, the plains of Moab that the Midianites attack the Israelites. And so there are still going to be those in the second generation who have bouts of unfaithfulness. So uh, it's not always easy to define exactly when that first generation died, but here in, in Numbers, we're being told that. So, verse 17 The Lord speaks to Moses now. He says, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them. For I will not give you any of that land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And so that really more or less sets the boundaries of Ammon from the area that's going to belong to Manasseh and Gad. So this is a bit of a, a jump ahead of us. Now, let's jump down to verse 24. Verse 24 says, Arise, speaking, Moses speaking to Israel, take your journey, And cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battles. Now, you'll you'll remember that uh, in Numbers, we saw that the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe, Manasseh, wanted to remain on the eastern side of Jordan. And this had to have been in God's plan, or we know that it certainly was in God's plan. But it's not until uh, Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh approach Moses and ask for that part of the land uh, to be part of Uh, their possession, to which, of course, Moses not only assented, but God would bless them there. 
Verse 25. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole earth who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So as Israel fights and defeats Sion, we'll see that he also uh, will fight another nation. Israel will fight another nation, and that's the, the kingdom of Og, which is even further north where Manasseh will take possession. So we're, we're being told that they're to take possession of this area, not just travel through it, but to take possession of it. And by taking possession of it, that is going to open up that possibility for the tribes to uh, conquer that area. All right. Now, tonight we are going to move on. We're going to be studying verses 26 through 37. What I'd like to do also as a background is turn to Numbers 20. I'm going to hold off on that for a moment. Uh, let's, let's begin uh, with our reading in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 26. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of uh, Kadamoth to Sion, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money, that I may eat and give me water for money, that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, and the Moabites, Moabites who dwelt in Ar, did for me. Until I cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So this is the offer that Moses gives, gives to the, really the, the pagan nation of Sion, the kingdom of Heshbon. Now what we're going to see is that they are going to, as Edom and Moab did, They're going to refuse to allow them to cross. Verse 30. But Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is in this day. Now, this is an interesting passage. Because as we studied in Numbers, we know that God told Moses to send messengers to Edom. And then later on, they send um, messengers to Moab as well, requesting the opportunity to pass through those nations. Uh, They were not allowed to, remember here, to meddle with them to harass them. Why? Because they were uh, descendants, descendants of Abraham. So we have a problem here. Uh, He says in verse 29, 
just as the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, and the Moabites, who dwelt in Ar, did for me. In other words, uh, sell them food and water until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. Now, let's turn back to Numbers. Numbers 20. The reason I'm doing this is because periodically somebody will ask a question on how we uh, understand these different passages. Remember that Moses is writing both of these. He writes numbers, and then when he finishes writing numbers, he begins and he's writing Deuteronomy. But let's listen here as we turn to Numbers 20, verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh, uh, which is Kadesh Barnea, from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelled in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through the fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed through your, your territory. Verse 18. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with a sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway. And if I on my light, uh, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Verse 20. Then he, and this is Edom, said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now, if we are to compare the passage that we have in Numbers and the passage that we now have here in in Deuteronomy, here is the area of Edom. Right here. And they came from Kadesh Barnea, right up here to, the, to uh, the beginning of the Edom kingdom. And they were told they can't pass through it. So they turn away, they go south, and then come up on the east side. Now, in comparison, that sounds as if Edom not only refused to allow them to pass through the, the nation, but also refused to help them. But Moses informs us now in chapter 2 of Deuteronomy, in verse 29, he says, Just as the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me, what did he do for them? It says that you'll sell me food and you'll sell me drink. So the probably the answer to this is that Edom 
did not allow Israel to pass through them, but as they skirted the nation, and then as they skirted Moab, uh, they allowed them to purchase food and and water. So I think that that's the way that we can understand these two passages, one that sounds as if Edom and Moab were not only restrictive in the movement, but it sounds as if they didn't help them. But Moses uh, provides clear evidence here that they did. So, uh, as we see verse 26, by the way, the wilderness of, it says in verse 26, I sent messages from the wilderness of uh, Kedemoth, uh, um, probably Moth, Kedemoth, to Sion. And the wilderness of Kedemoth was a desert within the, uh, the territory of Sion. So this is further north beyond the uh, Arnon River. A bit of a summary here as we proceed. Moses here recalls his peaceful offering to Sion. And we're going to see that there's a difference here in the kingdom of Sion or Heshbon and the kingdoms of Edom, Moab, and Ammon. So Moses recalls his peaceful offering to Sion, just like he offered to the other three kingdoms. An offer that had several items to commend it to the Amorite king. First of all, Moses promised that they would not leave the main road, that there would be no plundering of crops, so they needed not fear that. Uh, Thirdly, the Israelites had already passed through and around, I think is a better way to say that, passed around the territories of Edom and Moab without uh, engaging in war. So Sion, knowing that, should not anticipate a war with Israel. The Edomites had refused the right of passage to the Israelites. However, probably the Edomites the Edomites allowed Israel to pass by on their eastern border, uh, though they refused to let them pass through the middle of their territory. And that's what I'm calling uh, Israel is skirting the eastern side of Edom. And then finally here, Moses also told Sion that Israel's ultimate destiny was not the territory of Sion, but was on the other side of the Jordan in the land the Lord had given them. But you'll notice that the Lord is going to tell Israel to take possession of the land once they uh, engage in combat here. Verse 30, But Sion king of Heshbon would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his, his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. Uh, All right. Sion was responsible for his own refusal to permit Israel to pass through his land. And then it says that God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. What this tells us is twofold. Uh, First of all, is that God 
is sovereign over individuals' hearts. However, the other side of that king, uh, the other side of that coin is that God allows us to make decisions. We have freedom of choice. And while God might lead us, He leads those who are, uh, are believers and in the Old Testament, those who believed in God and were faithful to Him. So, uh, what we see here is a conundrum for some people. But I think that this is easily explained. Notice that Sion, uh, as Moses writes here, that God hardened. Another way to describe that, he made him severe in his choice or in his heart. So God hardened or made him uh, severe in his spirit and made his heart obstinate. Another word for that is stubborn. As with the Pharaoh of Egypt, who refused to allow Israel to depart Egypt, Sion was opposed to Israel entering their land. God uses Sion's obstinance for his own glory. And that's how God is going to use, that's how he used Pharaoh, and that's how he's going to use uh, Sion. The Amorites were one of the nations that were pagan and wicked. And as a matter of fact, they were wicked to an extreme degree, even offering their children to their gods. These were a people who would be removed from the earth so that their wickedness would not spread to the other nations and people. God does not cause people to be negative to his plan. But when they demonstrate their negativity towards God, he often uses that negativity for his glory. But destroying them as a testimony, and I guess I should say, and destroying them as a testimony to what happens to the wicked. And so that's what we see was happening to what happened to Pharaoh. You'll remember that Pharaoh made his own choice through the first several plagues. But then when the plagues were so harsh, he probably would have decided that um, I will allow Israel to depart. But we know that the text tells us that God hardened his heart so that God could use, could uh, move through the process of all of the, the plagues. Why? So that God would be glorified and the reputation of God's treatment of Egypt spread to the entire world. And one of the reasons we know that Pharaoh's hardened heart Uh, he would have possibly allowed uh, Israel to leave earlier, but it would have been against his will. We know that because after Israel departs, he changes his mind and he pursues Israel. And, of course, he loses his life in the Red Sea. Again, this does not mean that Sion had 
no free will in this decision. For he was predisposed on his own will not to give them passage, whether because of fear or confidence in his uh, own military strength. The Amorites were not related to the Israelites, like the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. And there is no statement that the Amorites were given a possession of the land by the Lord, as he did for Edom, Moab, and Ammon. So Sion, king of Heshbon, does not have a similar relationship to Israel as the Edomites, Moab, Moabites, and the Ammonites. These nations were cousins, we could say. They were cousins, and God protected them from any Israelite incursion, which God could have could have led them through and given victory to Israel, but he does not. All right, verse 31. Uh, let's read verse 31 down to verse 34. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you. So when he um, refuses, he doesn't have that relationship with Israel. And so they have set themselves up for destruction. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion on his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. Uh, I like the way that this is stated, that you may inherit his land, because remember, this was not part of the original, uh, or at least from our perspective, it was not part of the promised land. But now you may inherit this land because of his resistance to Israel. Verse 32, Then Sion and all his people came out against us to fight as at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us. So we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. We took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. All right. So here is... Jahaz. Jahaz is right here. The red area of action, I guess we could say, the uh, attack that was, uh, that occurred. And he's going to drive them all the way. Israel is going to drive the Amorites uh, all the way up beyond the Jabbok River. But, as the text tells us, he destroys all of the people there. All right. Utterly destroyed. What do we mean by utterly destroyed? Um, this happens to be a particular terminology for putting under the band. Or we could say placing under the band. Uh, and the word for band here is the word for Cherem. That is used two different ways. One is devoting, actually it's the same meaning, something that is devoted for God's use. Or it's something that is placed in a position for destruction. Now, both of them, I think, have the same sense. Given to God, either present 
for preservation, his use, or given to God for his possession, which he plans to destroy. So, the terminology here is to to put or to place under band. God would specifically state who or what was to be destroyed, which was known as being placed under the band from, uh, that was therefore from plundering. So they were placed under the band from plundering or allowing to uh, survive or for use. They're placed under the band. Really, it's being devoted to God. Devoting a people, person, or possession was a stronger act than something that is dedicated. Uh, If something is devoted, it's not just dedicated, but it's given to God uh, for his uh, administration. Nothing devoted could be redeemed or removed from the band. People devoted or placed under the band were to be put either to death, and that's what's going to happen here to uh, the king of Sion and his population. No private citizen would have had the power to put himself or anyone else under the band. And we could study this in some detail in Leviticus because that's where the the definition for this being placed under the band would be found. Verse 35 said, We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. Now, remember that God is a compassionate God. But when we have a pagan nation that not only is pagan, but it is cruel and wicked to the point that it offers children as sacrifices to their gods, this nation, this people needs to be destroyed. And that's what God is going to do. By the law of the band, every living thing, human and animal, was to be utterly destroyed. That is, put to death. Now, exceptions could be made, but only when permitted by the Lord. And that's what we see here with the uh, the livestock. <clears throat> In this case, the Israelites took livestock and property as spoil. The band included fighting men, civilians, males and females, adults and children. God used the people of Israel to punish the Canaanites for their continual wickedness throughout the generations. Further, the destruction of the Canaanites was designed to protect Israel from following the Canaanite evil practices. And when I use the term Canaanites here, that can be in exchange with the Amorites. Very often, uh, the people of Canaan were were called Amorites. So, God was designing Israel, had designed Israel to remove these uh, pagan, wicked nations so that they would not follow them. Israel's failure to destroy all of the Canaanites in the subsequent conquest led finally to their own undoing, their downfall, 
and their ultimate destruction. By the way, this word for utterly destruction is often described as holy war. And holy war is not something that's conducted by Islam because that's unholy war. Only God can direct holy war. Verse 36. From, uh, from Aurur, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. All right. We know where the city of Aurora is. It's right here. Israel is going to take this entire region all the way up to the Jabbok River. And that's where they will destroy all of the people in this area. It says, from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered us all. Now, uh, the statement that not one town was too strong for us was a sharp reminder to Israel. You may remember the the reconnaissance team returned from their 40 days of reconnaissance, reconnaissance and said, we can't take these cities because they have uh, walls that go up to heaven. Well, here we see that Israel didn't have a problem with these walled cities. As a matter of fact, we should say that God didn't have a problem with them. And you'll notice as we read, as we continue to read, there doesn't appear to be any casualties on the side of Israel. Why? Because God is the one that's doing the fighting for them. The Lord, our God, delivered all to us. And so the statement that not one town was too strong for us was a sharp reminder to the Israelites. The Hebrew sentence literally said, reads, not a town was too high for us. Uh, and I think uh, the literal translation, not too high for us, takes us right back to the reconnaissance team saying they were too high for them. The high walls of the Canaanite cities terrified the first generation of Israelite warriors so that they discovered, uh, so they disobeyed the Lord's command to enter the land. And then finally, as we conclude here, verse verse 36, let me begin there, from uh, Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine as far as Gilgal, there was not one city too strong, walls too high for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Verse 37. Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon. Anywhere along the river uh, Jabok, Jabok, or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. And of course, the, the forbidden area was back here. But Israel conquered all of this area, which is known as Gilead, 
or we could call it the kingdom of Sion. Sion, in, in summary here, we would say that Sion rejected this peaceful offer. Sion did not need to go through this. He could have allowed Israel to pass through them. Now, that's not to say that Sion and his kingdom may not have, may have been destroyed later, but the offer was a peaceful one. The Hebrew verbs used to express the hardening of Sion's mind and his will can mean that the Lord confirmed that there was negativity in Sion's mind. He was going to oppose Israel no matter what. His arrogance against the Lord and his people, Israel, uh, caused his ultimate destruction. Sion's arrogance, arrogant refusal was a sure sign that he had just thrown away one of his, his, one of his chances of survival. And so what we see here is again, God has a plan for Israel. And as Israel is moving through the area, whether it happens to be in Egypt or here with uh, Sion, God's plan is that he's going to lead them and he's going to fight for them. Now, what I'd like to do in concluding this portion, next week we'll begin in chapter 3. Let's turn to Joshua. Let's turn to Joshua 1. And we'll see this concept. Joshua 1. At the end of Deuteronomy, we'll see the death of Moses. And we know that he will not enter into the promised land. Joshua will lead Israel. Now listen to what the Lord says to Joshua. We'll read from Joshua 1.1 through verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them. This is a land that's being given to them. And how is it being given to them? Uh, we would say that, yes, Israel needed to be prepared to fight for this land. But God is going to give it to them. And the sense here of the giving is that God will present it to them as their possession with him having taken that land and given it to them. So he says, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Verse 3, every, every place that the sole of your foot will tread, uh, which your foot will tread upon, I have given to you all, as I said to Moses. You may remember that uh, God said the same thing to Abraham. Abraham, walk the length and the breadth of this land. Wherever your foot falls, wherever you walk, that land will belong to you. And so this is being reported to Joshua. Verse 4, 
from the wilderness, meaning in the south, and this Lebanon to the north, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, this is the Mediterranean Sea, towards going down, towards the going down of the sun. This was the way that they described uh, a day from the time that the sun arose in the morning until it went down. Well, where does it go, go down? It goes down over the Mediterranean Sea. This land shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. Literal Hebrew there is um, for your before your face, before you all, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse six: Be strong and of good courage, for to this people Israel you shall divide as an inheritance uh, the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong. In other words, resolve to go there, to be, um, to receive what I'm going to give you. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left. A figure of speech that says, don't divert. Anywhere along the way. Don't veer off to the right. Don't veer off to the left. That you may prosper wherever you go. This is a promise to Joshua. And it it should be passed also to Israel. What is he saying? He's saying as long as you remain faithful, you will be prosper wherever you go. As I've said in the past, wherever you go means whatever you do. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The application there for us is the same. Uh, If we meditate in the word of God, God will guide us. And, as it says here, uh, we will be able to observe to do according to all that is written in the law. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Uh, We will have the same. The promise could be made to us today. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of of good courage, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go and whatever you do. I think this is a a wonderful way to end this Bible class this evening. We realize that Moses had these promises. He gave it to the Israelites. Joshua hears it, but God reminds him of this. In the first chapter of Joshua, we see this throughout the word of God, that uh, in our obedience and in our understanding of the word of God, God will bless us. He will prosper us, not necessarily in the way that we 
might think he's going to prosper us, but God will prosper us. He will be with us. And, in fact, we are commanded to follow his, uh, his law, the word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the text of Scripture. We're thankful for the history that we find here. Your love, your compassion, uh, and your leadership to Israel. We have the same opportunity. Uh, we are told to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Lean not to our own understanding. We are to provide the trust and the faithfulness and you will guide us. Father, help us to truly understand this and devote ourselves to it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.